G'day, my name is Adam Draycott and you are watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 24th of July 2022, this 17th Ordinary Sunday. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 68. God is in his holy habitation. God gives the desolate a home to dwell in. He gives power and strength to his people. Let's have a time of praise. Consider Christ, the source of our salvation.
Let me pray the collect prayer for today. Lord, be merciful to your people. Fill us with your gifts and make us always eager to serve you in faith and hope and love. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We come to the ministry of God's Word and our Bible readings today come from Proverbs chapter 10, verses 7 to 19. Psalm 1 and John's third letter. Not John's Gospel, chapter 3. No, John's third letter. 3 John. Uh, it's just before the book of Revelation. Uh, look, if, if that's still too difficult, you'll find it on the contents. As my pastor used to say, uh, look it up in the table of contents. That's what it's for. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for your help. We thank you that we can gather in this way. We ask for your help that by your spirit you'd speak to our hearts and our minds, our very souls, uh, that we would heed your word, that you would teach us and correct us and rebuke us and train us in all matters of faith, that you grow us in Christ Jesus, please that you grow us in the way of grace. We ask your help. In Jesus' name, amen. John's third letter. I was at a clergy conference and, and the guest speaker was Simon Manchester. Terrific bloke. A wonderful teacher. Uh, he brought some historic letters with him. And apparently you can buy, you can trade in, in historic letters. Uh, he had personal letters written by people like Charles Spurgeon, if you've heard of him, Charles Simeon, John Newton, surely you've heard of him, and William Wilberforce. Fantastic. But can you imagine? <laughs> they would have had no idea at the time of writing that one day in history, uh, clergy from the Armadale Diocese camping at Copeton would look in on this personal private world. I mean, who, who knew? Of course, the Apostle John is wiser. See verse 13 of 3 John. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. Yeah, he's wiser. Uh, the old paper trail. He knows about it already. It is great pastoral advice. Face to face is much better. But we're, what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to have a look at this personal letter and we're going to consider why God has it published in his scriptures as a message for his people. Let's deal with the characters. You can see on the outline uh, the way uh, today will be structured. Who are the characters? We've got the elder. Uh, he's John. That's been noted. The Apostle John, overseer. There's... Gaius, uh, I'm thinking he's maybe a church leader. Uh, Diotrephes is there in verse 9. He runs his own home church as well. Demetrius, we meet in verse 12. Maybe he bears the letter from John to Gaius. 
And what do you notice about Gaius? Let's talk about him. He's a dear friend. Verse 2 tells you that. So does verse 5. Verse 11, no doubt, Gaius, he, he's a dear friend. And that's lovely. What else do we notice? Verse 1, uh, he's a dear friend whom John loves in the truth. That's interesting. Verse 3 uh, gives John great joy when some believers come and testify about Gaius's faithfulness to the to the what? To the truth. You got it. And then verse 4, John says he's got no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the in the truth. That's right. Now, when he describes him as a child, one of his children, maybe he's one of John's converts, or, or certainly there's an air of responsibility. Maybe it reflects John's oversight. Who knows? Uh, we're not told. Verse 8, notice this then. Uh, John writes to Gaius, We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the, for the truth. There it is again. Truth is the setting for this whole letter. The truth is at stake. Walking in the truth is John's chief concern. But what truth? His truth? John's truth? Your truth? Is it about your truth? Because that's a popular idea. Apparently there's a multitude of truths. As long as you're living out your truth. Apparently, just ask Oprah, she'll tell you. Or is it God's truth? Ah, there is a truth, an objective truth, which is God's truth. And hasn't God revealed the truth about himself in the person of his son, Jesus? That's right, he has. And isn't this what John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, means? As we reflect on that briefly, the word became flesh. Jesus made his dwelling among us. Jesus. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son. Still Jesus who came from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and full of truth. There it is again. Jesus reveals to us the truth about God. He is the truth and the way and the other, that other word. That's right, the life. And so to walk in the truth is to live a life walking in the steps of who? Jesus. Your faith is in him. So truth isn't about me. And what I decided is, truth isn't subjective. It's about Jesus and what he says. And Gaius, well, he's embraced this truth about Jesus and he's living it out. He's walking in the truth. And here is, you've got to see this, the deepest, most wonderful uh, concern, the truest concern of any pastor, any gospel pastor, any Christian parent, uh, any Bible study or youth group leader, surely any mature Christian brother or sister, here is the deepest, truest concern. What is it? It's that those entrusted to me are walking in the truth. They're walking with Jesus. And so seriously, there is no greater joy. No greater joy. And that such joy uh, appears in verse 2 as John prays to that end. Look at verse 2. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health. That's nice. 
that it may go well with you, that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Uh, what a great prayer. It's all-encompassing, isn't it? Uh, I want to ask, do we pray like this for others? Do we, we pray about physical needs? What about spiritual needs? Do we pray about people's walk with Christ? Can we lift our eyes past the shopping list of sick relatives or work dramas? Are we praying for one another that we would all grow in Christ Jesus? This is our goal here at St Augustine's after all. It's our vision that we would all grow in Christ. It's a good vision. I, want to, I commend it to you that we pray this way as well. That we would walk in the truth. That we would be faithful. Here's a question. What evidence is there that Gaius walks in the truth? Well, look at verse 6. They've told the church about your love. That's the answer. That's the evidence. How do we know confidently that Gaius walks in the truth? It's because he's showing love. What shape does this love take? Well, it turns out it's all to do with hospitality. The early church was very dependent on travelling preachers. And if you're travelling around, where are they going to stay? And they're strangers to boot. Who's going to have them? This love that John writes about in verse 6 that is demonstrated by Gaius is quite simply a love for a stranger. So look at verse 5. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. So they're brothers and sisters, yet they're strangers, travelling preachers. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a way that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, these travelling preachers, receiving no help from the pagans, which is a testimony about the care of Gaius and his mob. It's a great thing. Why, why did they do this? Verse 7, it's for the sake of the name. And we know that name. There is no other name. Acts 4.12, I think it is. No other name. Salvation is found in no other name than Jesus Christ himself. Now, what did Gaius do? To show hospitality. Did he give him a spare room? Did he give him a whole house? Imagine that. Did he cook him up and serve him brekkie? Or maybe he gave him a coin for petrol. Who's to know? What about time and space for a retreat? A proper, all expenses paid rest. Maybe. Who's to know? Uh, but what does John call this? He says, verse 8. This is called... Verse 8, working together for the truth. Working together for the truth. Working together for the gospel. Clearly see that God's mission matters. Clearly see that God's missionaries, God's workers matter as well. Guys knows this. He's a partner in mission. So application, easy application was, oh, goody, when the Newman's next visit, I think it's towards the end of the year, uh, I'll host them. And I'll respond by going, oh, you've got to get in line because you've got to actually get past Phil and Bobby Wig. I think they've got dibs on that. 
but there's another application here that we must think about. If Gaius and his church family are this welcoming to str- otherwise strangers, can you imagine what their welcome is like as a church gathering just to one another? If their capacity for love looks like this with people that they don't know, can you imagine what it is like day to day with people they do know? Not their besties, not talking about their besties, but people who also gather in their midst. There's no scratching their heads about what their name is, that's for sure. Some vague idea of who they are. It bears thinking about for us. And how connected we are to one another. We're going to have a Hospitality Sunday here at St Augustine's uh, this term. Uh, It will be an exercise in extending our welcome to those we should know. Or could know, might know. Hospitality Sunday will test our graciousness. It is not about eating with those we already know hanging out with our besties again. No, it's about welcoming those that we don't know, but should. Now, don't wait for Hospitality Sunday to be hospitable, by the way. Um, There's plenty of us that like eating. I, I know that to be true. So the eating bit is easy. It's the question about who you share your table with. And it's possible that we have deep prejudices that are a barrier to our welcome. And that's not okay for any church gathering. And if that is you, uh, you need to repent. You need to change your mind. Another way we show hospitality is morning tea after church or supper of an evening. It demonstrates a warm welcome to others. It says you matter to the other person. Of course, Matt reminded us the other week, if we make like a rocket and do the runner while you're communicating the opposite. And at that point, you are miles away from the example of Gaius. You need to think about that. So here is the question. Will you be a faithful Gaius? Will you be Gaius the faithful? Are you willing to work together for the truth? Even in the domain of hospitality, do you see the power of welcoming and hospitality and being gracious and warm as a basic expression of Christian love? Do you see that? I hope you do, and I hope you're encouraged in that regard. Now, John moves on to the next character in verses 9 and 10. We're about to get a bit salty, so hold on to your hats. Meet Diotrephes the Fraud. I think he's a house church leader. Uh, so verse 9, the church, he's just talking about the gathering where Diotrephes leads. Some suggest the name Diotrephes is a sarcastic moniker because uh, it literally means nurtured by Zeus. Now, Zeus, the Greek god, was apparently chief among other gods, which means that if you've got the name Diotrephes, well, maybe you're chief among pagans or unbelievers. 
So it is a sledge. Verse 9, I wrote to the church, I wrote to that local gathering, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, ouch, he will not welcome us. Um, it cannot be understated. It is no small thing to refuse an apostle of Christ. Okay, you just don't do that. You don't, even today, you don't reject your overseer, your bishop. Imagine if I said, no thanks to Rod, you're not coming. Uh, he will not welcome the Apostle John, who carries the authority of apostleship. It's incredible. And so we have to ask, is this just a lust for power? Has Diotrephes confused personal ambition with zeal for the gospel? Now, make no mistake, there were concerns about travelling preachers back in the day and today. Uh, these travelling preachers, if you read John's first letter and second letter, uh, they're travelling preachers that deny that Jesus is the Messiah. They say they're Christians, but they're on one hand, but on the other hand, no, Jesus isn't the Messiah they're teaching. And they're also denying that Jesus was from God. And such people, John calls them out as antichrists instead of Christ's. They're deceivers. And so you can read 1 John chapter 2, 18 to 22 is one reference. 1 John 4 verses 1 to 3 is another. Or 2 John verse 7. And they're about. There's no doubt about it. But it seems that Diotrephes has gone into lockdown. And he's closed the doors to everybody Travelling preachers, but also everybody. And so then I wonder, well, maybe this is how the conflict started and Diotrephes' solution is just to lock the door, no one's getting in. No one's getting in. But of course, the problem is these travelling preachers are being recommended by John and commended by John. And so this is really a rejection of John's apostolic authority and witness. And again, let me say this, that's crazy dangerous. But of course, John is going to sort it. He's going to come. He's going to call attention uh, to what he's doing. He's going to call it out. And so this letter is a preemptive strike of sorts. So verse 10, when I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. And so he resents the intrusion, not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome other believers. Uh, there's no going on to his patch, it seems. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. This guy really does love to be first. It's all about him and his ego. Here is a leader that must have the spotlight, the platform, and can I say, the leader that loves to be first, there's no greater misuse of power. What did Jesus say about that? Mark 12, verse 38, watch out for teachers of the law. They like to walk around flowing in their robes, hey, look at me, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They love to be celebrities and have the most important seats at Rotary. Oh, oh, sorry, synagogues. Most important seats at synagogues. Not right. Anyway, places of honour at banquets. 
They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Uh, They will be punished most severely. This is the pastor or leader who always has to have the last word. This is the leader who is overbearing and never takes no for an answer. This is the leader who cannot be corrected, who's too busy being offended. This is the leader who refuses to be accountable. And when their seat of position is threatened, what do they do? Oh, they throw their toys out of the pram, spreading malicious nonsense such that everybody knows about it. Can I say this is not how true brothers and sisters relate. This is fraudulent. And of course, as we look to the example of Jesus, how does it roll for Jesus? Mark 9.35, anyone who wants to be first must be last. You must be servant of all. Of course, we know Jesus made himself the very last on a Roman cross where he died in your place. Where he died, he made himself last so that he could put you first. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. Mark 8.34 And so loving strangers, welcoming hospitality, uh, it's all about putting others first. It's all about serving. And that's the way of Christ. And it is the way of grace. Let's look at verse 11. Keep pushing through. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does not, anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. This is a really important point that we need to grab. John is saying, don't copy Diotrephes. Got it? Because he's not godly. He doesn't reflect God. Got it? But come over a few pages to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Come with me and look. Look at verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us, sent his son, atoning sacrifice. You got that? Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. But grab verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Look at verse 12 again. If we love one another, God will live in us. You'll see him at work in the Christian family. Verse 12, as God lives in us, his love is made complete in us. Massively important. It's not so with Diotrephes. It's not true. There is no love there. There is no welcome there. So you won't see God at work there. Not in his church. But what about us? Do we, will we see the work of God in our church as we love one another? As we get on and bear with one another? As we welcome others, will they taste, will they experience the God who loves them? Because that's what 1 John tells me. Here is a question about your love for God. Is it evident in your love for others? I'm not talking about your bestie here. That's easy. That's comfortable. I'm talking about the other others. 
those that you might not deem worthy of your time or space. It's time to meet Diotrephes, probably the bearer of this letter. Well spoken of by everyone, verse 12, even by the truth itself. Here is a life consistent with the faith that he professes. He is a man growing in Christ. It is self-evident, you can be sure. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. That's nice for Demetrius. There's not much else to say. But here is a question now. See, as we consider this letter, what would John write of us? As we consider our welcome to church, some of us are still strangers to each other. How could this be? Well, not strangers, but just unfamiliar. Like, what's their name again? And who are they related? I know the face. I've seen him in the back, but, you know, no connection. As we consider our welcome of others into our homes, even, there's something else again. And so here we are faced with the example of true brothers and sisters and the challenge of being truly a Christian community, a love one another community that's genuine and sincere and full of grace and truth. It's full of Jesus. Will we give ourselves to one another in community? Even when it involves strangers, that's what we see here. Do we show that the living God can be discovered and experienced in our meetings together or not. In our regard for one another, we're putting one another first. Are we serving one another? Because when we do that, you know, when we serve like that, we get to be like Jesus. We get to be like Jesus when we do that, when we show grace to others and kindness and generosity. And so the question now is, will you? Will you? Will you do that? Will you be like Jesus and count the cost and open your arms in a great welcome to others because you know that that's what God has first done for you? Will you do that? Amen.
we enter into a time of prayer as has been the practice a blue screen will follow in a moment to offer you some prayer points uh, please pray in a biblical way uh, yes we pray about the physical needs of others do not do that but remember uh, we pray about for one another and our walk with Jesus that we will grow in Christ as we listen to him as we obey him as we give ourselves to him as we serve him and the body um, we could pray father help me to follow the example of Gaius and his church family here thank you father for reminding me that mission matters and so do your missionaries help me to care about global mission for example or help me to care more about mission even here in our local community um, protect me father from the sin of diotrophies and the sin of loving to be first this is what it means to pray in a biblical way it's all there i commend it to you and remember you have models examples you have got the lord's prayer to pray through if you get really stuck um, but don't not pray make sure you do that Let me close with the words of the blessing from the book of Jude. Uh, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you uh, before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.